Pastors, thanks, Steffi, for that nod, <laughs> affirmation there. Hey, pull out your Bibles. Pull out your Bibles. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you are just jumping into to Doxa and haven't been around for a while, we're in the middle of a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, so chapter 6 today, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11. And if you don't have a Bible, honestly, guys, the, the most, like the single most valuable thing we could give you materially in this building is a copy of your own Bible. And so we actually have them in a bookcase just outside the auditorium to the left if you need one or want one. And so we would love to give that as a gift to you. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Okay, and the text today, it begins with a question. So I actually want you to look down with me, the, the very first part of verse 9. Paul, he says, or do you not know? Okay, do you not know? So he's, he's referring to something that maybe the Corinthians had forgotten. Okay, do you not know? And honestly, it could be something that for some of you in this room, you actually do not know. For others in this room, it could be something like the Corinthians you've forgotten. But for all of us in the room this morning, it's something that we need to hear, it's something we need to know, something we need to believe, something that we need to, to remember, hear again, and be, be gripped by. And it's not just a, a question that Paul is asking, but it's really a confrontation, it's a plea. He's pleading with us to know this thing. God is pleading with us. And so even just wake your heart up this morning, I would ask you, are you listening? Are you ready to hear from God? Okay, look at verse one. Here's the question. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Did you know that this morning? Do you know what that means? Okay, let's take it phrase by phrase, starting with just that first phrase, the kingdom of God. Okay, the kingdom of God. It's a word, it's a phrase maybe you've heard before, but here in America, we don't really use kingdom language, right? We live in a democracy. What is a kingdom, okay? Even this, this language of, of democracy, it's kind of getting at the same thing. Maybe you'll say country, maybe you'd say empire, republic. We're all kind of getting around the same idea because a kingdom, it's a, it's a place, right? It's a territory, or some government is in authority. So you could actually think of like the United Kingdom, right, over in Europe. The United Kingdom is made up of England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, right? Real physical, thank you, Asher, real physical geographical place. Okay, but a, a kingdom isn't just about a place, it's also about a people, right? People belong to a kingdom. They live there physically, and they live under some authority, some, some rulers there. So, for example... Some of you might not know this, but within our midst, in our very own country, in the state of Texas, there is a place called Possum Kingdom. Okay, has anybody heard of, of Possum Kingdom, Texas, before? Out here? Okay, well, get ready. So Possum Kingdom, Texas, is a region of Texas where people live entirely under the rule of, you guessed it, possums. Can you believe it? Can you believe that these possums have intellectually grown to the point where they're able to actually rule over people and these vicious creatures, these ugly creatures, these, I mean, have you, you guys seen a possum before these things look like? Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a lake. It's a lake in Texas, actually, this place. You, like, if you Google it, it's, it's like a, there's like a campground there. It's like, I think you like bring your kids there, but this place is called Possum Kingdom. But I mean, if you let your mind run away with that for a second, like you got, you got the whole like Planet of the Apes series, just think about Possum Kingdom and what that must, like what that could have been 
as a movie. This place entirely run by, by possums, liberating people from the tyranny of the evil possums. It's a kingdom, okay? So kingdoms, they're not just, uh, they're not just places. It's not just places with people, but wherever people are, we have what we call culture, right? Like a, a way of life, a way of doing things. And ideally, it's a way of life that leads to flourishing for all the different types of people that live in that kingdom, right? And so the type of people that live in a kingdom, they're going to dictate and bring about whatever type of culture that kingdom is going to have. Okay, and then the last aspect of a kingdom is that kingdoms have kings. Okay, and maybe there isn't like a single leader, like a king or a queen in a particular kingdom. Maybe it's a democracy, but there's always some form of authority, some structure of that, someone who rules and reigns over the kingdom. And again, ideally this authority would lead to flourishing for all the different people in the kingdom, right? And so the reason that this is true, what I just said, the reason that human beings, we just seem to create kingdoms and live in kingdoms and rule over kingdoms is this is how our creator made us. This is who he is. Okay, in our college ministry, the Salt Company, we uh, teach a class called Gospel 101, right? And it's just kind of like the basics of the gospel, the story of the Bible, Christianity. And in the first week, we look at Genesis 1 and 2, and we basically pull out three truths about who God is. And they're this. Number one, God is our loving creator, Number two, he's the supreme authority. And number three, he is the final judge, right? So God, he's like the king over all of creation. He's both all-powerful and he's ultimately good. And we see in the Bible that humanity was actually created to be like his representatives on the earth, bearing the image of the king, reflecting the character of the king, and actually carrying out the will of the king. And so listen to me as I read just the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, starting in verse 26, and and just listen for this language. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. Okay, that's, that's kingdom language. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so it says, God, he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God, because he's good, he blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so right here at the very beginning of the story, at the beginning of the story of everything, is that the king of all creation, he creates these unique beings called humans, you and I, and he gives them like a royal identity. It says they bear his image in a way that nothing else in all of creation does. They have a royal responsibility to rule and to reign and to have dominion over the rest of creation with God and on God's behalf. So to be made in the image of God means that you and I are meant to be God's like royal representatives on the earth. Right? And so the whole universe, all of it, the whole earth, it was meant to be God's kingdom where we rule and reign with him. And this kingdom was meant to be a kingdom of what the Bible would call righteousness. Okay, now righteousness is one of those words where it's like we kind of generally know what it means, but it can be tricky to, to pin down. And actually, if you trace that word righteousness throughout the story of the Bible, it's always closely accompanied by another word that you should be familiar with, which is the word justice. Okay, righteousness and justice, they seem to always go hand in hand in the Bible. And, and those two words, they mean a lot of things, but basically, if we could boil it down, I would say this. It's like 
when we live life according to God's good design, everyone flourishes. Okay, put it another way, when people live righteously, there is justice, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is life for all. And so that's what like a kingdom of righteousness would be, a place with a way of life where all people and all of creation flourishes, a life of flourishing because God is a loving creator, right? A life where we live in obedience to his design because he's the supreme authority, a life full of justice because he's the final judge that we all answer to. And it is that kingdom that is born at the very beginning of the Bible in those opening chapters. And it's born out of love, God's loving authority, his loving judgment. And it would have been a place where all of creation and all of humanity would have flourished. It would have been the best possible existence. You look at Genesis 1 and 2 and you just see a world that was brimming with life and goodness. And God says, go, go multiply that stuff. Have dominion. Be my representatives. But then as we turn from the pages of our Bible to look at the pages of human history, if you look at the news today, we see that this is not what is happening. Right? Like, if you just look at our own country, if you look at America, arguably the most powerful, the most affluent, the most comfortable kingdom that has ever existed, would you say that we are experiencing true flourishing for all people in this kingdom? I think if we're honest, we'd have to say no. Right? We see that there are some people in this kingdom that have suffered horrific injustice. They have very little of the privileges of the kingdom. Even if you just go back to the very beginning of the story of America. There's a lot of good things that have happened in our history. There's good things that happened in the beginning, but there's also major stains and blemishes and injustices. We see like the African slave trade that literally supported the beginning of this nation. We see displacing the native peoples of this land and basically conquering them. We see that on one side of the spectrum at the beginning of the story. And then maybe if you consider some of the the people that, that do experience the greatest benefits of the kingdom, the people that have the most upward mobility, college educated, all that stuff, the studies are now showing that there is like skyrocketing anxiety and depression for people that have all the privileges of the kingdom. Okay, and then somewhere between these two poles is where everybody lives, but no one is living and experiencing what the Bible would call a kingdom of righteousness and justice. Like for all of our technological advancement that is supposed to solve the problems of the world, because we're evil, we just create more problems, right? We create new problems for us to have to solve. For all of the connectivity that we have because of technology, it's also just allowed us to fight even more with each other. And so what is the problem, right? We've got this vision from Genesis 1 and 2. We've got this desire for a kingdom. Like, what is the problem? Why can't we achieve it? And our problem is the same problem that every human kingdom has ever had, and it's this. We are trying to have the kingdom, but without the king. Okay, we want the kingdom. We want this vision of righteousness, but we don't want the righteous king. Right? In other words, we can't have a righteous and just society where everyone flourishes if you kick out the loving creator, the supreme authority, and the final judge. It logically can't happen. And this is like the tragic trade-off that happens at the next point in the story in Genesis chapter 3. Maybe you know this part of the story. We actually taught about it back in the fall here at Doxa. But essentially what humanity did is we grasped for autonomy from God. 
right? We, we were made as these royal representatives, but we wanted to, to flex our creative potential, but without the restraints of having to listen to him, our creator. We wanted to rule in the kingdom, but we didn't want to rule under his authority. We wanted to have dominion like God called us to, but we didn't want to be dependent on him. We see in Genesis 1 and 2 that he loved us. God loved his creation, but we didn't love him back. We rejected him. This is Genesis chapter 3. And we see in the story of the Bible and we see in our own lives that it's not like this just kind of innocent, drifting away, like, like polite, like, yeah, God, like, thank you for making this for us, but, but no, we're good, we're good, we got this, we can, we can do this, like, thank you so much. It's, it's, it's not polite, it is sinister, it is ungrateful, it is treasonous, it is, we are rushing towards God in the pages of Genesis chapter 3, trying to take the throne from him. It is not polite. And so whether in this room today you would actually find yourself more indifferent or maybe apathetic, kind of even like in a nice way toward, towards God, or antagonistic against him, both spots that you could be in are a part of the rebellion. Because sin, it's a, it's a conscious choice, listen, to, to live in God's world, but without God and therefore to be against him. And this is what Paul means when he says unrighteousness. Okay, he says in verse 1, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And we could put it another way. We could just say, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of righteousness? I mean, at this point, isn't it actually now obvious, now that we've just thought it through a little bit, because remember, the, the kingdom of God, it's the place where God is the supreme authority. It's the place where people listen to him and love him. It's the place where he is the final judge of right and wrong and not us. And so if you don't love God or you don't want to listen to God, you're not going to like the kingdom of God, right? This isn't, it's not rocket scientists. If you, if you prefer uh, unrighteousness, you're not going to like the kingdom of righteousness. If you don't love God, you're going to hate heaven, you're not going to like God's way of doing things there. You're not going to like the culture of that kingdom because it is upside down from the way that we do things here in our human kingdoms. And so Paul, I mean, guys, he's really just stating the obvious. He's saying, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so then he goes on to basically share a, a list of what the culture of the kingdoms of this earth, the kingdom of man, is like, just the way that we do things around here. And, and it's not an exhaustive list of everything, but it's, it's accurate, and we can all identify with it. It's kind of like he's like pulling out the junk drawer of this was Corinthian culture, and this is the culture that their church was having to, to fight against. And if we're honest, it is our life story. We will find ourselves in this list. And so let's look at it starting in, in verse 9 and 10. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so these are examples, right, that Paul is trying to give us, trying to give the Corinthians to say, this is, this is what I mean by unrighteousness. This is the unrighteous. This is what they're like. And he basically, at the beginning, he lists some different ways to express our sexuality in what he would call an unrighteous way. And then after that, basically five other examples 
that relate to money and relationships and people, and there's really like an underlying theme that goes with all of them. And, and they're not just ex- examples of sin, they are they're patterns of sin. And this is really key. He's not just kind of saying, like, here's some, here's some actions that some people have committed. He's saying, this is patterns of life. These are identities. These, these statements, they come to, to characterize people. And so what I want you to notice is that in all the examples that he gives, the common theme, like at the root of it all, is what we have here is a, a deviation from God's good design for human flourishing. Right? He's the loving creator who created everything for good and for joy, and what we do in our sin is we deviate from that design. Okay, the list, it's, it's not random and arbitrary. It's not as if God is just like, yeah, just here's these things, and I don't know why, but they just kind of bug me, and so, so don't, don't do them. No, he's saying this is, this is a distortion. This is a corruption. This is a departure. This is a total contradiction to the way that I created things to be out of love. And so you can take a donut. Okay, you could go over to Greenbush Donuts. You could take a donut. You could... You could take that sugary donut and you could mash it up in your hands, right? And you could turn it into some kind of a doughy, sugary paste. You could take that and you could rub it in your hair as like a shampoo type of thing. And, and honestly, it might, you might start, there, there's like, it could smell kind of good. It could smell sugary, like it could smell better than maybe your hair smells naturally. It might even give you a little bit of a hold, a little bit of a gel if you wanted, if you've got this donut paste. And, and honestly, Maybe at some point in the future, our culture will look at that and say that 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 is like an acceptable and actually like ideal practice, and that's what we should do with donuts in society. But that would be an unrighteous way to utilize the gift of donuts, would it not? It would be unrighteous. Donuts, they're meant to be devoured righteously by the dozens. That's what we were created for. Okay, that, like when you think about a donut, that's the way that you maximize their potential. That's the way that you honor Elizabeth Gregory, God bless her soul, the inventor of the donut back in the 1800s. That's how you honor the intent of, of the creator. And so Paul, he does list actually in this list uh, being a drunkard on here, which would be, that's like a, a way of characterizing your life where you abuse the good gift of alcohol which is actually similar to the sin of gluttony that's talked about in the Bible with food. And so I do want you to know that you can rest assured that Rob, your other pastor, and I have never, ever split a 12-pack of Greenbush donuts. Never would we do that because we always get our own 12-pack of donuts. Okay. Stupid joke, but do you, do you get my point? When we're talking about unrighteousness, this is like one angle to understand what it is, okay? It's, it's taking the gifts that God has given the world, these good gifts of God, and then using them in ways and in context that he never intended. But it's not arbitrary. It's not good for us. Like ultimately, in, the, in ways that are not good for us or the world, because sin, it never ultimately leads to flourishing for all people. Okay, so for example... If we get into the list, he says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who, pr- who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. And so I know, like there are many in the world, there are 
many in this room, and if we're honest, all of us in this room have, have some level of sexual brokenness, sexual confusion in our lives. We have questions about the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. And so I want to say this just like simply and, and clearly. This is what the Bible would say. It would say that sex, it was designed by God as an amazing and powerful gift. Okay, to be enjoyed between one man and one woman for one lifetime. And the intent of sex, okay? So we have this creator God, and he has an intent in what he was making with this gift. The intent of it was that it would be an exclusive gift, okay, for a husband and a wife, and that the actual value and power and enjoyment of the gift would be protected by this covenant of marriage. That was God's righteous design from the beginning. And so we have to see at the very beginning of the story, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He said that with joy. He said that with joy. And because of that, we have to then say that any expression of sexuality that is done out of this intent and out of this context is to go against God's good design. It is to go against our joy. And it is what Paul would call unrighteous. In Corinth, it was a culture that was confused about sexuality, just like us today, right? But Paul, he actually takes it a step further, and he, he calls that confusion deception, okay? He's not like, yeah, you're confused about sex because God, God hasn't, like, hasn't told you. He's saying there's actually a deception that has, has gone on from Satan, from, from the devil. And if you remember what we talked about earlier, unrighteousness, it's always followed in some form by injustice, Okay, that, that is Satan's scheme. Get us to be unrighteous and then have us create an unjust world. And so, for example, you think about, I mean, you think about this. How many, how many children's lives have been impacted for decades by sexual decisions that took minutes? And Paul says, don't be deceived Okay, this lie, like the, the pleasure that you get from something like pornography that you think is, is free, that you think nobody sees, it is costing you. It is costing your spouse, it is costing your friends. And in a way that we can't even conceive of and, and understand, it is actually costing the thousands of enslaved men and, and women all over the world that are in, caught up in, in sex trafficking because we're actually creating a demand for that with our viewing of pornography unrighteousness leads to injustice. Now, next week, uh, in the rest of chapter six, it's basically gonna be all about sexuality, and so I'm gonna actually push that, the rest of this to Rob for, for next week, and he's gonna, he's, he's got that. But to tie a bow on it, I just want you to know this. When it comes to sexuality, the devil, he has, he has lied to us. Okay, he has lied to us, and we have all believed him. All of us in this room, Christian or not, have believed that lie, and it's led to Destruction in our lives, not liberation. Destruction in our world, not liberation. But the word of God, this, this Bible, and the people of God, this community in this room, we are able to recover God's design. And listen, nothing that has been corrupted by sin cannot be restored by the gospel. Nothing. Whatever it is you're thinking about in your head is not out of the reach of God's restoration. Okay, so if you look at the rest of this list, look at the next words. He says, 
nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And what we see here, here's like the common thread. We see that both sex and money are incredibly valuable gifts that God has given to humanity to steward, right? But get this, God, he actually, he created us to be stingy with our sexuality and generous with our money. You catch that? Stingy with our sexuality, generous with our money. That's what the kingdom of righteousness was actually supposed to be like. But in our kingdom of unrighteousness, we do just the opposite, right? We're generous with our sexuality and we're stingy with our money. And so that's what Paul, when he lists out these lists of sexual sins, he's like, you're, you're giving yourself away sexually to someone who is not your husband or your wife. And that's the same thing that he means about greedy swindling. He's like, you're hoarding and you're stealing money from someone else that you should be sharing it with. It's like this upside down way of living, this unrighteousness that leads to injustice and oppression to the most vulnerable people among us. But in the kingdom of God, Doxa, in the true kingdom of God, that will be a place where people don't steal from each other because we don't need to. Okay, it'll be a place where we glow with contentment and gratitude rather than burn with greed and jealousy. We will share and we will be generous. It's a place where we don't have to abuse our body with sexuality, sexual immorality or, or drunkenness. It's a place where we don't have to cut each other down as revilers and swindlers and liars, but everyone builds one another up in truth and in love. But the tension we feel is we do not live in that kingdom right now. Okay, that is not the kingdom of this world. We live in a human kingdom that actually normalizes these things, even at times celebrates these things, like th this culture, this way of life. It's tolerated at best. It's idealized at worst. And guys, this is how sin works. This is how it works. We, we choose it. We really do. We have to take ownership for our sin. But even as we choose sin, it is choosing us. It is trying to become our identity. It is trying to characterize our lives. So you make a choice to, to dabble with some, some alcohol and you're experiencing it as a, as a good gift from God, but then somewhere along the way, you cross a line, right? You go outside of God's intended design for it. You begin to actually rely on it, seek refuge in it. Alcohol becomes your strength and your power and over time you chose it, but it chose you and it just comes to characterize you. And, and the sin here is not that you enjoyed a gift of God, it's that you actually started to, to, rather than coming under the influence of your loving creator, looking to him as your refuge and strength, you gave that role to one of his gifts. You gave that role to a gift. You let alcohol take the place of God in your life, and then rather than actually being blessed as God wanted you to be, you are destroyed, and the people around you are destroyed. This is what Paul means by a, a drunkard. And so, our question, right? Do you, do you feel the force of what Paul is saying yet? He's saying, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Will not. Like, not a chance. They, they will not. Unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I know it sounds harsh, but are you starting to see why it is this way? Doxa, it's because unrighteousness is not fit to inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, can you imagine if, if the people 
who, who led us in our country and in our world were marked by sexual immorality and greed and dishonesty? You should be able to imagine that. Because <laughs> that is the story of humanity. Like, that is, that is it. Like, that is, that is what has been happening. Ever since we tried to take the throne from God and seek autonomy, our leaders have been marked by that, and so have we. Like, that is the world that we are living in. That is every human kingdom that has ever existed. Unrighteousness is not even fit to inherit this kingdom of righteousness. We couldn't even rule in that place. But also, unrighteousness doesn't even want to. Right? Unrighteousness doesn't want to. Unrighteous people don't want to live in a kingdom of righteousness. So fight the temptation in your heart to, to listen to the devil and make God the bad guy here, right, when we have such a hard, direct text. This text is saying that we are the bad guys. Like, we chose this. We sin because we like it. We sin because we love it. We rebel because even if it's a nice way of doing it, we, we hate him. And if you noticed, I've, I've switched the way I'm talking about this to we Okay, there are, there are trends throughout human history and in culture, but this is a text we need to take as something personal to us, our own stories, you and me. And that's where Paul goes next. He, he leans forward on us, the beginning of verse 11. He looks us right in the eye. He says, put down your phone, listen up. He says, and such were some of you. Such were some of You. Okay, this list, these words, this, this word unrighteousness, not just words that describe the Corinthians or some politician or that person that you don't like. It is a word that describes you. We have all conspired against God. So whether you snuck into this room and you're actually like a member of the atheist society and you're trying to erase the memory of God from, from civilization or you're a member of a political party or a movement where you're trying to bring about some type of human utopia but independent of and autonomous from God, or you're a nice church person, church-going person, but underneath it all, all of your religious activity is actually just a way to manipulate and use God rather than worship him. All of us in this room are sinners before and against God. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says it like this. He says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. No one does good. Not even one. The Bible is, is clear. God, he is the final judge of every human life, and we are all hopelessly doomed before him, hopelessly lost in our sin. And honestly, honestly, your biggest problem in the room today This this is true of someone. Your biggest problem in your life is that you don't really care. You don't really feel that yet. You don't really know when Paul says, don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You don't feel that. You don't know that as Paul says a few verses later in Romans, the wages of sin is death. The thing that your sin is is earning and reaping. The inheritance that you're going to have is death and a final death called, called hell. And that is, that's the human predicament, right? The human predicament is that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteous doesn't even want the kingdom of God. It's not going to even like heaven if it was there, but it's going to also experience torment in, in hell. That is the fate of, of unrighteousness. And, 
And honestly, I remember what it was like to be a, a freshman in college and to have known some of these things and heard some of these things, but not feel the weight of some of these things, to not really, not really know and not really take ownership for my sin, not feel the weight of what it means for me to be unrighteous, not really ponder the implications of what I was going to inherit. But when I started to do it, and when I started to actually try to fight against sin and unrighteousness, when I look at that list of things that, that characterize people, when I saw that that was me, I realized that I couldn't change myself. I realized that I was hopeless. I, I, started, I felt like I was backed up against a wall by my sin, hopelessly lost before a holy God. And then there were three letters that changed my life. And they're right here in this passage. Three letters that, that didn't have to enter into the human story, but they did. Three letters that we don't deserve to be a part of our stories, but they are. Three letters that are an undeserved gift from God, the only three letters standing in the way of you inheriting hell. Verse 11, Paul says, And such were some of you, but... Such were some of you, but you were on your way to hell, but God intervened in your story. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You chose sin, but God chose you. Okay, the kingdom that you have chosen with your life, your, your life of unrighteousness, the full inheritance of that is a place called hell, a kingdom called hell, but the kingdom of God the kingdom that God has chosen for you is one of righteousness, the full inheritance of which is in heaven. And so Paul, he doesn't say here, such were some of you, but you've changed. Such were some of you, but you came to your senses. You, you figured it out. You got enough willpower. You became a better person, a good person. You paid off your debts. You started being righteous. You cleaned up your act. No. He says in verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you hear what he's saying to you? He doesn't say that you cleaned yourself up. He says you were, you were washed. Like God just grabbed you and, and washed you. He grabbed a hold of your life. And can we be honest here in the room? We are a room of sinners. We are a room of sexual failures in this room. Sexual deviance shameful. The, the stain on our stories, that's one, of the, that's one of the most painful stains in my story is just the stain of sexual immorality. It's one of the most painful parts of so many of your stories, and, and we can't get rid of it. It is just there. It's, it's in our past. It, it covers us. We can't do anything about it, but then we learn that God can, and in Christ Jesus, he has. Okay, Paul says that his, his blood that was shed on the cross, he did that so that you would be washed clean, forgiven. Jesus, he was lifted up on a Roman cross as like this public spectacle of shame that is supposed to shock us and then shock us even more when we realize that that was us, like that was our sin on the cross. He was shamefully killed because that's what we deserve. Like your shame, the thing that you feel, it is real. But what I want you to hear from my lips right now is that so is the cross. Your sins, they were many, but his mercy is more. 
And so the good news is that in Christ, you are no longer defined by your sexual immorality, that stain, or your greed, or whatever it is, your drunkenness, anything else that you might be ashamed of. You're defined by his blood. It has washed over your life. You are washed clean of that old, shameful identity. But you aren't just washed. He says, you're sanctified. You know what that means? To be sanctified means you're not only forgiven, but God, he has set you apart as special to him. You are, you are dear to the creator of the universe that you betrayed. You aren't just forgiven and washed, you are, you're treasured. Okay, God in heaven, he doesn't look down at your life and say, you are pathetic. What a mess. But Jesus, he did this thing and he went down there and now we're in it. And I'm gonna have to put up with you. You're mine. That is not what God says. He looks down at your, your sinful story and he says, you were a mess, own it. Like, you, you were a mess, but guess what? I have made you my mess. Even while you were a sinner, I sent my son Jesus to die for you. You are my mess and I have washed you and I'm not leaving you there. I now delight in you. I have sanctified you. And so for anyone who's honestly listening to me right now and, and has, has maybe come to terms with their sin, who has stopped deceiving themselves and has actually faced themselves and faced their sin, this shouldn't make any sense. It seems like an impossibility. It seems too good to be true. Like, God, how could you look at me and see past all this stuff? And you know what the answer to that question is? It's that he doesn't see past it. He doesn't see it at all. He doesn't see it at all. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. But then you ask like, God, how could you look at me and see something worth delighting in? And you know what the answer to that question is? He doesn't. He doesn't see something in you worth delighting in. He sees you in Christ Jesus. So you picture yourself standing there before God, the final judge, which we will, and there is nothing in your character, there's nothing in your story that could possibly justify yourself before God. Nothing you could say to him. But in spite of that, as you stand there in Christ, he will, he will look at you and he will smile and he will say, yes, you were unrighteous. Yes, you are guilty for that, but you have been washed. You have been justified. You have been sanctified. All in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of my God. He says, you aren't justified before me because of your name. You're justified because of his. Like when I look at you, I don't see your story anymore. I see Jesus' story. At the cross, he took your story to its logical conclusion, crucifixion, judgment, and then he gave you his story, resurrection. We get credit for his choices, for his righteousness. Like listen to this. He didn't just pay for your unrighteousness. He lets you take credit for his righteousness. Math people in the room, do the math on that one. Think about that trade-off. I'll slow it down. Jesus, he says, give me your unrighteousness, your sinful story. I'll pay the penalty for that. And then he says, here, you take my righteousness. You can have the reward for that. And if that sounds a little unfair to you, I would say we are just now starting to talk about Christianity and what it is. This is the gospel. This is, this is like the word we use. This is grace. 
That is what grace is, the unfair love of God for sinners. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, but God loves unrighteous people. And more than that, he loves to give unrighteous people what they don't deserve, the kingdom of heaven. We don't deserve it. We don't even want it in our sin, but God's grace, he he looks down at us in our rebellion. And while we hate him politely or belligerently, belligerently, you know what he does? Well, we're running headlong into sin towards hell. This is, this is the gospel. God basically just reaches down and says, nope, pulls us out of that. that. That's what he does. God saves sinners. It is God who saves. And so my question at the end of, of this sermon is Paul's question from the beginning, right? Do you know this? Do you know this? Students in the room, do you know that you have a choice to make? Verse 9, that might as well be like a description of the ideal high school into college experience in, in America, and it is also a road to hell. A life of misery cleverly descri- disguised as a, a good time. And so make no mistake, you have a lot of choices to make at this stage in your life, but the biggest choice you will make is not which career you will choose, but which kingdom you want to inherit. That is the the offer that Jesus is making to you, and that's the offer your friends need to know about. Saints in the room, Christians in the room, this is how Paul addressed us at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. He calls us saints, and what what I want to ask you is, do you not know that you didn't save yourself? Have you forgotten that? Are you acting like you did? You know, why do we so often as Christians shake our fist at the unrighteousness of the world when we should be weeping, we should be praying, we should be pleading, we should be saying, that was me, be reconciled to God. Like it should humble us to the ground when we realize that God, he just flat out saved us. Flat out saved us. It should fill us with boldness when we realize that it is God who saves and we just need to open our mouths. It should fill us with an unbelievable hope when we think about our inheritance in the kingdom of God and sinners. Sinners in the room, and I mean that in the way that Paul meant it, unrighteous people, we, we all sin, and as Christians you still battle with sin, but if you in this room are still identified under your sin, this is what characterizes your life. There is no other alternate to your story yet. I want, I want to ask you, do you not know that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot save yourself from the wrath of God that is coming. You will not be able to hide from his wrath. But do you know the good news? Do you know the good news that you don't have to? Do you know, Jesus, that he became sin on the cross so that you could become a saint What is keeping you? What is keeping you from just looking down at your Bible or your neighbor's Bible and seeing verse 11 and saying, I I claim that as the banner over my life? What's keeping you from taking Jesus up on this crazy offer? What What is keeping you from just saying, Savior, wash me? What is keeping you from leaving your old identity behind and stepping into Jesus Christ? Do you do you understand the offer that He's making you? Sinners in the room, take the deal. Take that deal and inherit something that you don't deserve, the kingdom of God.
kingdom of righteousness. Let's pray, Doxa. God, we thank you that you have given us your word so that we could know you. God, you've given us your word so that we can see our sin and then then you can quickly show us our Savior Jesus. God, with a renewed commitment this morning, we say that we believe in you. We open the empty hands of faith right now in prayer and in a minute as we sing and just say, Jesus, we need you. Thank you for washing us. Thank you for sanctifying us. Thank you for justifying us. Thank you for giving us an inheritance we don't deserve. All hail King Jesus. Amen. All right, so you should have got a, a communion cup.